Deci. The reading is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. You can find it on page 869 of the Pew Bibles. Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Would you pray with me as we come to God's word? Father, we thank you for this word that was being preserved for us in this gospel. We thank you for your spirit who opens eyes and we pray even this morning that you'd help us to see. Us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so there's this common myth that you might have heard about people who are blind that uh, because of their impairment that a lot of their other faculties sharpen as if to make up for it. And I say it's a myth because it's not like you actually develop super hearing or a super sense of touch because you can't see. It's more, I think, that you end up uh, making more and paying more attention and focus to the other normal faculties that you have because that's what you've got. That's what you have to rely on. And your brain ends up focusing on uh, whatever signals get through. In uh, a story that Ruby just read for us, Uh, John chapter 9, the blind man is able to focus on this very clear signal that's gotten through to him. Uh, He might not have been able to see. We'll we'll look at the rest of the chapter. It's uh, 41 verses, so we ask Ruby not to read the whole thing uh, because we'll be going through it. But as as you go through this chapter, you realise he might not have been able to see very well at all. And he didn't know all the details about everything. He didn't know much about Jesus But this blind man is able to hone in on Jesus with the perception that 
many of the sighted people in this chapter seem to miss amidst all the different noise and, and the clatter that's going on. Uh, so one of the things that you see in this story are the different ways that people are reacting to Jesus, whether it's the disciples, whether it's uh, the, the Pharisees or this blind man. I suppose it's a bit unfair to keep talking about this man as being the blind man, as if that's what defines him. Uh, his particular disability was certainly, in the eyes of almost everyone in this story, as they talk about him, that's the stereotype, that's how they understand him. They know him as the blind guy who begs on that corner. But maybe it would be just as appropriate to label him as not just the blind man, but the believing man. Because in the story, that's what ends up really defining him. It's his belief, not so much his impairment. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's uh, start at the beginning, a start of chapter 9, where Jesus and his group of disciples are out for a walk. And the disciples, they spot someone along the way as they're walking, which sparks a bit of a theological doctrine question for them. Verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1 in John. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they see this poor bloke. And Jesus' religiously switched on disciples, they move the topic of conversation onto a theoretical discussion of sin and consequences. And they use Jesus as a kind of resident expert when it comes to this sort of thing, all things religious. And the disciples, uh, they seem to be coming from a worldview where uh, justice, they see this connection between bad things that happen to someone and some sin that they've done, that God might be punishing them for something that they or their parents might have done. So this man's born blind, and there's an assumption beneath what they're saying, just under the surface, that maybe he or his family have done something to deserve it. In some sort of divine or cosmic karma kind of way, tit for tat. Now, Jesus doesn't actually deny the possibility that their way of looking at the world is true in general. He doesn't confirm it either. Instead, what he does is breaks them out of their simplistic way of looking at how God relates to his world. Uh, they might have assumed that, well, God sets the rules, and if you break the rules, then he'll punish you. Either that, or he set up the universe so that that's what happens. Or he's personally involved in thinking of ways to, to mess with people if, if you step out of line. Uh, that's what's behind what the disciples are saying in verse 2. But what Jesus introduces them to is the possibility that God might just actually be personally involved in bringing light into a dark world in specific and personal ways. And he does things so that people would see and acknowledge God and his works that he's doing for their good and for his glory. Do you see how Jesus talks about the work that God's given him to do in verse 3? Uh, Jesus answers them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, but while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Now, Jesus has been very clear that the kingdom of God is near in him. And the work that God's given Jesus to do while he's here is to bring light in the darkness. Not to sweep out all the rubbish and and bring swift judgment. Jesus is here to bring light. Right from the beginning in John's Gospel, if you remember how it starts, John chapter 1 says, John chapter 1 verse 4, we read, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then down to verse 9, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in this case, which we're about to see, Jesus is bringing light, quite literally, to a man who's never been able to see restoring his sight. That's kind of the thing Jesus has been on about on a big scale in his whole ministry and mission. And I think that's what he's trying to show his disciples here. Uh, The disciples seem to be stuck in this sort of abstract but interesting religious discussion world, triggered by when they see this pain and and, and trouble in, in, in this blind man. And so this blind man becomes just like an object to them in a lesson that they're hoping to learn from Jesus about sin. But when Jesus looks at this blind man, he sees a person. A person who can be delivered from his affliction, someone whose life can be transformed by bringing light to it. Uh, Which is what you see Jesus do for this man next. I'm no miraculous healing expert, so I have no idea why Jesus does what he does. It's kind of gross. If you look at his track record, presumably Jesus could have just spoken a word or even not at all and and healed him on the spot. But instead, for some reason, Jesus chooses to involve this man in the process that will end up with him being healed. Look at verse 6. After saying this, Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam So the man went and washed and came home seeing. You notice there's not even recorded for us in this account any request from this man to be healed. He doesn't even address Jesus. He has no idea what could be going on other than the fact that someone called Jesus has smeared mud into his eyes and has been told to go and wash it off. Now what Jesus said to his disciples in that earlier discussion, you presumably, you could guess that uh, this man was in earshot. He might have heard and had a little bit of context about what's going on, but not a lot. And maybe this blind man had been in Jerusalem long enough to have heard that Jesus has been doing his thing. Uh, There's already been eight chapters so far in this gospel. So this, this blind man might have had a bit of context, but not a lot. Not a lot to work with. Can you imagine what it would have been like for this man to find his way down the steps to the pool of Siloam, entering the water? Uh, Apparently, if you go on a tour of Jerusalem, you can still see this pool. Uh, It's one of those big um, tourist sites now. 
Uh, the Pool of Siloam was fed by a, a spring that's just outside the walls in Jerusalem. And I was going to get, if you had a smartphone with you, oh, I was talking to Tony about it beforehand and he managed to find a picture of it. Um, it's, 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 it's this rocky pool with stairs going down it. So imagine being a blind person or a person who can't see particularly well, trying to find your way down a bunch of pretty steep steps from the looks of it to get into, get into the water. But can you imagine for this man making his way down those stairs into the cool water, dunking his face to wash the muck off and then coming out of the water to an explosion of light and colour for the first time in his life. And so the, whatever happens from now on, his life is never going to be the same, is it? Maybe you know that joy yourself because you know what Jesus has done for you. And you remember how good it was to see clearly for the first time, to be able to know that you've been set free. Uh, the rest of the chapter, uh, which we didn't get read for us, is about how people react to this beautiful thing that Jesus does for this man. Uh, look at verse 8. Uh, we did have this bit read, actually. His neighbours who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went, washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I, I don't know, he said. All the miracles are amazing, I think. I, I, that, that's just the nature of what Jesus does. But you're not often shown the impact of what Jesus does for someone because the narrative often just moves on to the next amazing thing that Jesus does or teaches. But here we get to think a little bit about how this whole community is impacted by this thing that Jesus does for this man who's obviously different now, and everybody can see it. This thing that's happened is so incredible, you get the sense that people's brains are still catching up with the reality that they're seeing. And in the lag, they don't know what to think. There's this guy who everyone recognises as being that blind beggar, the son of so-and-so, jumping up and down, now saying, I can see, I can see. And he can. You put fingers up in front of his eyes, he can tell you exactly how many. But some are sceptical. They're saying, are you sure that you're you? Maybe you just look like you. And he's saying, no, it really is me. Jesus put some mud in my eye, told me to wash, and now I can see. And verse 12 is probably the dumbest question in the whole chapter because they ask, where is Jesus? And the guy says, how am I supposed to know? Remember, I was the blind guy. How did I see where? And this incredible story continues to unfold. People are getting very excited, as you would be. And they bring this healed man to the religious leaders because Jesus is nowhere to be found. So let's bring him to the Pharisees because they know how to have a good time. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. 
Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, How have you received his sight? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned to, again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. He is a prophet. He is, he is someone from God, someone who speaks for God, who does the things that God enables. And the proof? Well, he's just done a miracle, hasn't he? The formerly blind man and half the Pharisees respond the way that you're supposed to when you see a sign like this. It authenticates the person doing them and you're supposed to want to listen to what they're on about. But the other half, the doubters, continue to doubt until uh, verse 18. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one uh, you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but as to how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Uh, Two things become very obvious. One is that everyone by now seems to know the Jewish leaders hate Jesus and won't acknowledge that he is from God. Because if he is from God, they have to listen to him and that's not something that they want to do. But the second thing that's become clear is that Jesus has just done another miracle. Which is problematic because if you admit that and the Jewish leaders hear it, you get kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents of this no longer blind man wuss out. They know that Jesus has done something amazing for their family, for their son, but they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue by the powers that be, so they throw the hospital pass to their son. Thanks a lot, Mum, Dad, parents of the year. We're not told told how old this no longer blind man is, actually, but I get the impression that he was a young man, not a child. They, They say he's of age, but maybe just of age. He gets very cheeky in the next little exchange. I mean, there's, there's some cheeky old men around as well, but you have a look and you tell me if he sounds like a young fella to you. Look at verse 24. We'll read from there. A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they held insults at him and said, We are this fellow's disciple. No, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, whether he's a young man or not, you get the sense that by the end, this guy is so exasperated and frustrated by the religious leaders and their stubbornness, he couldn't care less what they thought about him. And they kick him out. Now, your turn to judge. In this story, who would you say is blind and who can see? The parents of the no longer blind man, they can see. But it's like they pretend to be blind because they're afraid of what people will think of them if they admit to the truth. And the Jewish leaders, I think, they're a little bit afraid too. They're afraid of the change that will have to come if they accept Jesus for who he says he is. And so they won't. They, they can't see the sign for what it is. Or at least they refuse to see what it, it points to. It's like there's something wrong with the synapses between their eyes and their brain which effectively makes them blind. And no matter how brightly Jesus shines, they've decided to keep their eyes shut. People with much to lose are often afraid to believe in Jesus. What does Jesus say? Uh, How difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Not just materially rich, but those rich in other ways too. Change always upsets those at the top of the tree because you might not be at the top of the tree anymore. Is that you? Meanwhile, it's those who are poor in spirit who rejoice when they hear about the changes that Jesus can bring. Like this formerly blind man, he's got nothing to be afraid of anymore. I don't know if you can put yourself in the shoes of this guy, perhaps before he was fearful of lots of things in his day to day. But now he's experienced the power of Jesus. He's impacted rightly by the sign that Jesus has performed. And he can see that This is an authentication that Jesus is from God and that Jesus is doing amazing things in God's name. Do you see what Jesus is doing as we've been working through this gospel this year? Do you see what he's doing in those around you who call on Jesus' name? Do you see what he's doing in you who've begun to invite him into your life? When you see and when you believe You worship, which is the pattern we've been thinking about all year. You hear, you believe, you obey. And it's what happens to this man who uh, Jesus goes and finds again after he's heard that they've kicked him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when Jesus found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? asked the man. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus has come to bring light in the dark. 
And he knows full well that those without can't see, won't see, can't understand. That's why he's come. And so do you see how Jesus blesses whoever he comes across? Like this blind man just sitting at the side of the road with no clue, it seems like, who Jesus was. That is, until he's touched by him. After which he has no choice but to see. I think it's kind of like what uh, Belinda Lakeland encouraged us to do at church camp just past. To live surprising lives that look to bless the people around us. As a way to begin pointing people to Jesus. This came up at uh, elders meeting this past week where the pastors and elders of our church said we're going to try to take this seriously, intentionally looking uh, to bless people, particularly someone outside of our church circles uh, each week. Not that we're particularly good at it or experts at this point, but we want to try to lead uh, by example in this. And So stay tuned, um, keep us accountable and pray that we as a church would have some real positive impact in the lives of the people around us. Not that we're expecting everybody's going to see and and turn and appreciate Jesus. Like even in this story, by the end of the story, when people have seen Jesus clearly, some still hate him. But I guess that's part of what Jesus does. He exposes people's hearts and their attitude to God. But may we be, and may we and those around us be the kind of people who aren't afraid and who aren't too proud to see and believe, and so worship him. Amen.